The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Here to set you free, good afternoon and welcome or welcome back. Only True Democracy in talk radio of, for, and by you, the people. In this hour, one of my very, very favorite guests joining us. He's the international president of the United Steelworkers Union, the USW, and he is Leo Gerard. You heard him on the show, you see him on television, and you certainly read his great front-page Huffington Post blog every Monday. Leo, more than a pleasure to have you with us. I think it's the first time in the new year I got to speak with you, so belated happy new year, my friend. Same to you. And uh, I don't want to mention names, uh, but recently I was in Washington at a meeting with someone who was singing your praises, who we both know very well. Oh, oh, oh. oh that could be dangerous. <laughs> Name is David, and he leads a union. You know who I mean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? There is a study that was just released showing that the U.S.-China trade deficit has resulted in 3.4 million lost American jobs. Now, our president, Donald Trump, and it's hard for me to still say that, and I don't know if it'll ever be easier, um, he has been part of this problem, hasn't he, Leo? I mean, he has shipped jobs overseas, and even though he promises to bring jobs back, um, a, a lot of what he has done, not only you know with his rhetoric, but even with his practices, you know, using Chinese steel, for example, for some of his Trump properties, uh, this has all played into this $3.4 million uh, number of lost American jobs, hasn't it? Yeah, it, it sure has. And in fact, during the campaign, uh, we pointed that out, uh, both uh, steel and aluminum, and then also the furnishings for the hotels that he owns. Uh, we pointed that out. Um, so now we're, we're in an era where he says he's going to take on China and he's going to take on uh, all of these bad trade deals and Quite frankly, we're encouraging him. And we said in our announcement after he got elected that if he was serious about repealing and replacing NAFTA, repealing and replacing trade uh, WTO trade access for China, and same thing with South Korea, that we were happy to work with him. And uh, my, my, my surprise, but not much of a surprise, is quickly after he said that, how how quick Republicans like Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell jumped all over the fact that uh, you can't do that. It'll raise prices in America and we'll start a trade war. Uh, my response is we're in a trade war now. We're just fighting it unarmed. Absolutely, 100%. Um, you, as the president of the United Steelworkers, the USW, um, this new EPI report that U.S.-China trade, the deficit has resulted in 3.4 million lost American jobs. Um, this impacts every district, um, every state, every House district, every Senate district. Why aren't we seeing more reaction and alarm, whether Democrat or Republican, from our congressional members? 
look at one of the tragedies is that uh, people bought into the smoke and mirrors of these so-called free trade deals. And I've been saying in prior from, to me, there was George Becker, and prior to George Becker, there was Lynn Williams, all past presidents of our union, and we've been on the same page. The fact of the matter is that um, there is no such thing as free trade. All trade is regulated. It's on whose behalf will it be regulated. And these trade deals aren't regulated on the benefit of working families. Their trade deals are negotiated for the benefits of the already financially powerful. And, and we need to make that clear. And so that this report, as, as thorough and as comprehensive as it is, I need to look at it some more. But there's a piece that's missing in it, to the best of my knowledge, and we're going to try to get that done, is what has the impact been on wages? It's not the impact of lost three and a half million jobs, and we know how terrible that is, and we yell and scream and do that. But the piece that's a little bit more under the radar is the fact that you go into a negotiation with an employer, uh, and they will generally say, we can't do that because we've got to compete with China, or we've got to compete with Mexico. And uh, so what that has is downward pressure on wages, and the EPI study claims and points out that that's roughly $1,800 per worker per year on average in America. If you take that times 100 million workers, you're talking about a trillion dollars of downward pressure on wages. <laughs> and, and where did that money go? Where did, the, where did the benefits of productivity flow to? They haven't flowed to the workers. Where's the so-called benefits of these trade deals gone? They haven't gone to the workers. What they've gone to is the top 10% or the top 1% or the top one-half of 1% in, in uh, the already rich category. Yeah, you know, you said, China, and I quote, China has used virtually every tool, legal and illegal, to steal our jobs and undermine our manufacturing base and economy. You talk about subsidies, you talk about dumping, you talk about overcapacity, you talk about currency manipulation, you talk about cyber, cyber espionage. These are all practices used by China uh, to help amass that $3.9 trillion trade surplus, and they've been doing it since 2001. What does yeah. some, you know, do, you, do you feel that these, um, that these state and congressional uh, district politicians would get a message if people were more vocal, I mean, what do we the people and we the voter need to do? And then I want to hear about what you think the politicians need to do with regard to China, because this is just a list of of problems. You can't just address one here. One, one of the challenges we have is having people who are insecure in their economic well-being. Uh, as I say often, workers in the industrial sector of America come to work on Monday scared as hell whether or not they'll have a job on Friday. And uh, so one of the things that we need to do is, and we've been trying to do it, we've been half baloney successful on it, is, is mobilizing our people. We've put hundreds and hundreds of people in Washington. We put uh, 1,700 people in the congressional offices at our last political conference we held in Washington. Um, but right now the thing that we're going to do the most is remind Democrats why they lost. Democrats lost because... The industrial heartland has been gutted, and that it's been gutted by both Democrats and Republicans with these trade deals. And working-class people in the industrial heartland said, plague on both your houses. We're going to vote for someone 
even if we don't like him, even if we don't necessarily trust him, we're going to vote for someone who's saying that he's going to fight for us, he's going to repeal these trade deals, he's going to fight uh, our fight, he's going to protect Social Security, and he's going to protect Medicare. So that message rang true uh, by, by then-President candidate Trump. And what it did is so much of his stuff was so outrageous that the media followed, as they say, the, the, the shiny bright object, and uh, Hillary Clinton couldn't get her message out. And uh, a lot of people tied, and unfortunate as it is, a lot of people tied Hillary's position on trade to her husband's position on trade. I think hers was, uh, was not the same as his, and uh, we had a hard time getting that message out to people. Um, I would agree. Uh, I would agree with you there. Um, what steps would you like to take? And I, I would imagine one thing that you do like that Donald Trump did is he said, you know, we're, we're pulling out of and not going to be any part of TPP. But what about those that say that gives China an upper hand? Uh, not, not that we should have been involved in TPP, but it's sort of like we're not part of TPP and people aren't saying have no trade deals, but have good t- trade deals. Almost like Obamacare, you repeal something or get rid of something, but what do you replace it with, if anything? Well, look at the, the, there's so many categories with, with China. First of all, China now has the open road. <laughs> We've transferred almost $4 trillion of wealth to them. A trade deficit is nothing but a wealth transfer. We get products from China. They come to us. We don't send sufficient products back to cover it all. And, uh, we end up transferring wealth to them. That's, that's one item. The, uh, second item is that we've got to stop China's um, currency manipulation. We've got to stop having the private sector, whether it's unions and employers, as the ones that have to enforce the trade deals. We need to have massive enforcement. We need to double and triple and quadruple the staff in the United States Trade Department that can self-initiate trade deals. In in the last 20 years, I could count the self-initiated trade deals by the governments, whether it was the Clinton, the Bush, or the uh, Obama, I could count the self-initiated trade deals in less than one hand. And so there's so much to do and uh, so little time to do it in because we're hemorrhaging jobs, we're hemorrhaging income, and, and this malarkey about uh, uh, it's going to open the door for China. Uh, if you go through the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, and, and you understand the, what it means. And I don't mean you have to be a genius or a trade technician. When you looked at the, the country of origin provision, which said that 40 to 45 percent of the products brought in had to come from one of the, one or more of the TPP countries in order to qualify to be duty free. So, you could have then got stuff from Vietnam. You could have got stuff from Malaysia. You could have got stuff from South Korea. You could have got stuff from any of the 12 TPP countries. As long as it came to 45%, that means you could have got the other 55% from China. And you still qualify for duty-free. So people uh, started to figure that out, and I'm really proud of our membership. I'm proud of our activists. We we were on that case, and... Uh, uh, we we pointed out why TP was so dangerous, and it was it was going to drive down wages massively. People don't realize it's now cheaper. It's cheaper now to manufacture in Mexico than it is in China. 
And so what you would have had is you would have had all those auto parts coming from the Trans-Pacific 12 countries, uh, and they would have then been duty-free assembled in Mexico, and then Mexican automobiles would have been shipped into the United States. In the last five years, more automobiles have been manufactured in Mexico, or I shouldn't say manufactured, not manufactured, more automobiles have been assembled in Mexico uh, than in uh, Michigan. More automobiles have been assembled in Mexico than Michigan and Canada. And uh, Canada doesn't have that economic advantage because the, the, the rate structure is about the same. So we have lots of fighting to do, lots of educating to do. Uh, absolutely. Before we take a break, um, I, I want to talk about um, also Donald Trump's claims that he'll bring jobs back. And a lot of companies saying, oh, they're going to, you know, create jobs here. Is this a true Trump effect? I mean, Leo, you're, you're you know, in the loop there. You talk to the heads of these companies. You know, your union represents a lot of the workers in these companies throughout the country. Uh, was this something planned before, or, you know, is, is this something that we can, you know, give credit to the president for? I think that it's uh, too soon to tell, really. Uh, we saw the kerfuffle about Carrier. Yeah. Um, here, here's where I think the president has an opportunity to to make a point and he needs to he needs to stand up to the republicans and some democrats uh, i'll use the carrier as an example carrier at that plant in indiana made furnaces not air conditioners furnaces carrier furnaces they announced that they were shutting down and moving to mexico they said to the workers it's not because of your quality it's uh, simply that we can go to Mexico and do this for roughly $6 an hour, uh, whereas with you, we got to pay $20 an hour plus benefits. So we're going to Mexico. Mexicans don't use many furnaces. What was the rationale for going to Mexico and do that? They could go to Mexico at 6 bucks an hour, make a furnace, and then export it back into America and, and increase their profit margin increase the uh, stock value and pay off the bosses and then the carrier is a division of united technologies now the president said and i i hope he carries through he said it as president elect and he said it as president any company that shuts down and lays off and fires workers in america to go manufacture somewhere else and then try to bring those products into the united states are going to have to pay a big 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 duty as he calls it big league I think that's a message that has to be driven home. You take the carrier example I just gave. That's nothing but corporate greed. And the hell with the workers, the hell with their families, the hell with their kids' future. Uh, I'm going to be able to put more money in my pocket as the CEO or as the whatever I made that decision. And I just think it's wrong. And this jerk-off who uh, was the CEO says, well, we've got to be uh, concerned for our future. Uh, Carrier is almost a 75-year-old company that's made profits every year. We're gonna there, take there's, hundred, there's hundreds of carriers out there, Leslie. Hundreds no, I, of them. I, I know. I, I know. And, and, and like you said, it's too soon to tell. I agree with you, Leah. We're going to get more of your wisdom and expertise on this. We're talking with Leo Girard, international president of the United Steelworkers Union, the USW. 
No labor, no labor leader has stood his ground or fought as hard as this guy, International President Leo W. Girard. He fights to preserve and create union wage jobs that support middle class families and their communities. And to advance the fight for good, safe jobs, he's focused the United Steelworkers on strategic contact bargaining in paper, steel, rubber, and other key sectors, while at the same time fighting unfair trade and building clout through political action and domestic and international alliances. Back with him, back with you right after this. Follow him on Twitter at USW Blogger. Check out the website, USW.org. Don't go away. Glad to have him in-house. Leo Gerard, international president of the United Steelworkers Union, talking about a study showing U.S.-China trade deficit resulting in the loss of 3.4 million uh, lost American jobs. Now, Leo, I understand, you understand, that Americans are hopeful that this president, heck, any president, could bring manufacturing back to the way we know it can be and it should be uh, in the future if we look back to numbers uh, in the past. Um, is there anything in the rhetoric um, of Donald Trump with regard to jobs and regard to trade that you think might make that goal attainable and that he's not just full of hot air with regard to this? Well, uh, you know, this so far, I guess uh, we'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, so far, his rhetoric on trade deals has been, uh, I'll, I'll back up. Um, this is a bit embarrassing, maybe. But Donald Trump won election in the industrial heartland on the steelworker agenda. He took what our union has been fighting for for 35 years, and he used that, and he went directly around the Democratic Party and the Democratic leadership and made the case that he was feeling their pain and knowing what their pain was, and he was going to scrap these trade deals. He was going to put a heavy duty on, as I explained, that you move stuff out of the country to bring it back in. Uh, he he talked about those things, and that until now, uh, there had never been a strong message by by any Democratic candidate for president that was that clear and that strong. Absolutely. Now, we went over in the last segment. That's our shortest segment. Leo, quick break. Back to you after this. Leo Gerard, president of the United Steelworkers Union. Don't go away. Leslie Marshall, welcome, welcome back. Glad to have one of our most favorite guests in the house, Leo Girard, international president of the United Steelworkers Union, and not just my favorite, but yours as well. When we have him on, we get so much a response, and and we learn so much from you, Leo. Leo, thank you uh, for holding, and welcome back. You are the president of the largest industrial union, not just in the United States, but in North America. Your members know firsthand the impact of these policies uh, from China. 
You've participated in, and the union has, or even initiated dozens of trade cases at tremendous cost. That's money and jobs to respond to China's actions. Does doing away with NAFTA, not signing on for TPP, does it do enough? Does it make a dent? Or uh, does obviously more need to be done? And if so, what? Well, first of all, uh, uh, it makes a minimal difference, but it's an important strategic difference, and it's an important uh, statement. Now, having said that, even if you had the best trade deal in the world, but it was never enforced, it would be quickly eroded by uh, countries like China and Mexico and others, who in fact have a strategy. They sit down every year, and the Chinese, it's every five years, and they have a plan for what they're going to do. They don't necessarily pick a, one company, but they'll they'll pick a sector, an industry, and sometimes they'll pick one company, in particular the Chinese, because they'll use their state-owned enterprises. I'll give you two fairly complicated examples, if I can. There's been a U.S.-China steel dialogue going on now for 10 years. During that period of the steel dialogue, there's been five separate promises made by China to reduce their global global overcapacity in steel. The first such of those dialogues was that China was producing 500 million tons. America was doing 120, 125 million tons. The last steel dialogue, China was producing a billion tons of steel per year, and America was doing 85 million. China broke every promise they made. And besides that, they dumped. They have state-owned enterprises. They get cheap funding. They, they get break all the rules back there. Take to do the same thing in aluminum. China determined that they would produce more than they need in both of those two, and they would depress prices offshore, grow their market, and be able to sustain the workforce. They're not about making necessarily profits. They don't care about the debt. It's a state-owned enterprise. What they care about is keeping their people employed so they don't have a tenement square or an internal revolt. So in, in the aluminum sector, we went from having roughly 14 or 15 smelters down to five, four or five. There's one that's idle. We may or may not come back up. And China has increased their production of aluminum from 2 million tons to 30 million tons. Depressed world markets are, are companies that are in the aluminum sector are having a hard time as effective and as competent and as productive as they are earning the cost of capital because China keeps depressing prices. And so what we need, and I think that I haven't heard that enough from the administration yet, we hope to be able to hear it, is what we need is strong, strong, strong enforcement with self-initiated case, and we need to quadruple the size of the um, trade in lawyers, trade experts that are going to initiate trade cases against the cheaters. When we look at the current state of not just our economy, but our relationship with the world, China has said some pretty terrible things. They've talked about war. They've talked about trade wars. Um, you talk about the money. We look at the population that they have. And we also know they don't like a lot of the things the president is saying. And although a lot of the things the president is saying are being rah rah by the American people and even the American worker – we do have some American companies overseas, especially like the auto industry, which I know you don't head up, but you know a heck of a lot about because we certainly need steel for those automobiles. Yeah. Um, does that end up being a good thing in the long run, in your opinion, Leo? Because 
you know, China will, you know, perhaps be so nasty to American companies within China that they'll have no choice but to pack up and come home, which will help create more jobs, manufacturing well, jobs and pro- uh, pr- productivity plants here? That's, that's a multifaceted question. That uh, First of all, if, a, if an American company wants to go manufacturing, manufacture something in China, they need to take steps to protect their intellectual property. I think one of the great trade errors of this decade, or not the decade, just starting of the last two decades, I guess, is, in my view, what Boeing and GE did. Boeing sold uh, or transferred the technology for its wings to a Chinese aerospace company. GE transferred the avionics to a Chinese airspace company. We now see that China is getting ready to make 100 airplanes uh, based on that model. In exchange for that, Boeing and GE get to do some work in China. But I can tell you that in 10, 15, 20 years, the American aerospace industry is going to have to compete with the Chinese. Chinese were not making the kind of airplanes with the standards and quality that we were making in America. Uh, So if you're going to go manufacture in China, uh, protect your intellectual property. Uh, At the same time, uh, we have Chinese companies, state-owned enterprises, coming into America and saying, we're going to bring you jobs. So I give you two examples. A tangent pipe in Alabama is going to want to build a state-of-the-art, very substantial uh, tube mill, pipe and tube mill. Well, we've got a pipe and tube mill over capacity in America right now because of the collapse of the industry. So they're going to build a new pipe mill. They're state-owned enterprises. They won't work on the same business model that our pipe mills do, but they'll also won't have health care. They'll have lower wages, not have any pension or, or retiree liabilities. Another Chinese state-owned company is wanting to build a huge pulp mill and uh, fluff mill in Virginia. Uh, they're going to use the same standards. We've already got an oversupply of pulp and fluff in that sector. They don't give a damn. They're going to do that because they want to bring money, American dollars home. They'll bring those American dollars home, and that will help them to keep their people employed so that uh, they're not going to have another tenement square and people all upset that, with their circumstances. So the relationship with China is very, very complicated. And uh, that uh, uh, it has to be worked out that it's going to be to our advantage. Or as I say to, uh, I spoke this morning at a forum by the Wall Street Journal, if having a huge trade deficit is so good for the economy, why does no other nation want one? And please explain to me what a trade deficit is, because as far as I can see, it's nothing more than a transfer. In fact, you've got a deficit which you need to pay for. And you're paying for it by borrowing Chinese money to pay for that deficit. So you're getting a double deficit plus an export and then unemployment. You know, when we look at uh, the many promises that were made, uh, trade certainly was one of the huge promises that was made in last year's campaign. There have also been promises to address these problems. You talk about, as leader of the USW, and really fighting for this and for the middle class, and you have for for your whole life, your whole professional life, Leo, you talk about time growing short, that working Americans not only want change, but they expect their leaders to take action and not cater to special interest. Speaking of, we see Donald Trump appointing or nominating 
special interest, if you will, three Goldman Sachs members, for example, on his cabinet. Five. We, 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 five now, you're right. T- two, he also uh, talks about, you know, he talks very anti-union out of one side of his mouth, but then sits down with and meets with unions, you know, within the same week that he says something negative about unions. And three, he, he thinks that people, whether the union or not, are making too much money. How, how, how can that be good for the American worker? It's, it's not good for the American worker. And, and in fact, we have, to, uh, we have to hold him to the other promises he's made because he's, he's often said the same thing in two different ways that have two different sets of meanings. And so that from, from the point of view of the steelworkers, our, our position right now is we're going to do what we've always done. We're going to fight for the set of values and the set of principles that we've been fighting for for 35 years because we believe that our our set of values are, are right for the country and right for working people. The uh, the reason I say that we're running out of time, and again, I, I say this to people, and I don't get a very good answer it's from most politicians and a lot of the so-called academic economists, that if we've acquired a close to $4 trillion trade deficit with China in 15 years, what will the country look like if we do the same thing for another 15 years? If we've lost close to 4 million manufacturing jobs to China and we keep doing what we're doing with China, what will our job market be like? You've got to come to grips with the fact in this country that not everyone's going to graduate from university. Some people are going to want to uh, try to get into the workforce or don't go to university or God help us, can't afford to go to university anymore. So what what will that be if we keep doing the same thing for the next 15 or 20 years since NAFTA? NAFTA is now, what, uh, 25 years old almost? If we do the same thing for the next 25 years, what will be the, what will be the auto assembly situation in America versus Mexico when a Mexican worker uh, makes less now overall? With productivity than a Chinese worker. I mean, these are questions that politicians have to answer, and um, neither one of them or neither one of the parties are answering it very well at this time. And and I can you know the worst, quite frankly, is the uh, the Republican Party. We had a water bill that was passing through, and we managed to get a Buy America provision in the water bill for water uh, treatment plants. Paul Ryan, as the Speaker of the House, stalled the bill. He didn't want the Buy America provision in it. So he cut a deal to uh, have the Buy America provision last one year. Well, no one's going to expand their operation and invest millions and millions of dollars to expand their operation for the insecurity of what happens after a year. And I understand, I'm not 100% sure of this because I wasn't in his district, but I'm told by people who were that the reason he held up the bill, the reason he wanted to take Buy America out, he has a fabricating plant in his uh, congressional district that imports Chinese steel. So I'm, I've got no uh, illusions that this is going to be an easy fight no matter what, but it's a fight that we need to have. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more not only about this, the U.S.-China talking points and where we are at that fork in the road, but we're also going to talk about some other things that Donald Trump could do uh, with regard uh, to unions that may not help them but rather hurt them. We'll be back more with our guest, Leo Gerard, president of the United Steelworkers Union. 
Follow me on Twitter at USW Blogger, the website USW.org. More to come. President of the United Steelworkers Union, talking about the U.S.-China trade deficit between 2001 and 2015, uh, 14 years, has cost 3.4 million jobs. We've talked about rebalancing trade. We've talked about rebuilding uh, American uh, manufacturing. And that, that is where, Leo, the country was hit um, hardest. I mean, job loss was spread nationwide in uh, different uh, industries, but manufacturing definitely was hit the hardest, correct? Yes, and this also result, results in not just, uh, you know, obviously job loss, but sometimes if people have a job, uh, you know, the wage losses. And, and when we look across the board, people, you know, lose their jobs, they lose their wages or the wages are reduced. That hurts the economy because they're buying less products. And it, it, it's just, you know, a very negative cycle, a tail chasing cycle. Well, we, we've seen we've seen some of that in uh, the so-called consumer spending in the month of December and early January. It's substantially down. Companies like Target and others were moaning and groaning and complaining about it. Well, they're the first ones to be anti-union. They're the first ones to be against raising the minimum wage. They're the first ones to support uh, so-called right to work for less. Uh, you know, than a whole bunch of them in that regard. And so, the the income inequality that is now rampant, it is greater than almost uh, any time in the history of the country. So that there's there's uh, there's a lot to be concerned about, and there's a lot to, to to be in the streets for. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, over eighty-five thousand manufacturing establishments disappeared between nineteen ninety-seven and two thousand and fourteen alone. Would you say the I year nineteen ninety-seven was a watershed moment? Uh, yeah, uh, but I think that. Uh, uh, the the we lost sixty thousand factories. I don't know what the, I don't know what that exactly number is, but I know that we lost sixty thousand factories in the period from two thousand and eight to two thousand and ten as a result of the uh, financial collapse. And again, if you look at that and and the anger in the industrial heartland, we've had hundreds of bankruptcies of manufacturing companies, steel companies aluminum companies, tire companies, manufacturing companies, and uh, the workers always get shafted. They always get their benefits slashed, their pensions gutted, and they're lucky if they get their job back at a lower wage. Well, when we had the financial collapse of Wall Street, every one of these damn banks got 100% on the dollar. We We didn't just bail them out. We didn't just throw them a lifeline. We threw them a bucket worth of money. And if you go through the the industrial heartland and the in the sort of industrial belt workers that can express that anger about you know they're they're working for their pension is going to be sixty percent lower than it was in nineteen or two thousand and seven uh, same thing with wages wages on on a 
in real dollars are flat or, or declining. They're not just what they were in 1979. Some of them are wages, wages in real terms are worse than they were in 1979. So we've got a huge challenge, and you can't have an industrial society that doesn't make anything. I agree. And, and when, when we look at manufacturing jobs, there's so much more uh, to rebuilding manufacturing. I mean, they provide good jobs, better wages, benefits for workers who aren't, you know, out there getting a college degree, don't have a college degree, and they make up nearly two-thirds of the domestic uh, labor force. They're an important footprint yeah. if you look at the private economy, uh, and uh, they're a huge buyer of commodities and services from elsewhere in the economy. They're also responsible for roughly, what, 70%, $270 billion of all U.S. business research and development, which leads me to ask you about two things uh, most recent uh, as of late, and one of which is something a lot of people weren't talking about with one of the executive orders that the president signed last week, um, which people are calling a Muslim ban. Um, But I I heard some people uh, in the manufacturing sector here in the United States saying that a lot of their worker base um, are are immigrants. Um, Does does a ban like that affect not only the USW, but other uh, manufacturing uh, you know, and, and blue-collar worker unions and, uh, you know, areas uh, nationwide? There's, yeah, it does affect. And, and there, there's a, you want to deal with, we want to deal with a issue of undocumented workers that can be solved in a heartbeat. Any employer that hires an undocumented worker uh, should have to pay a substantial penalty. Those workers are coming across the border or coming from another country in hopes of a better life because life in their country is so rotten. Uh, but at the same time, we've got American employers who are exploiting the hell out of them. We've tried to organize some facilities that had a majority undocumented workforce, and all the boss needs to do is say, hey, here you're signing union cards. I'm going to call ICE. You can't get another card out of the place. Uh, so... The, the, again, these issues are complicated. They're not going to get solved with an executive order. Executive order is not governing. But the fact of the matter is that uh, we need to have a comprehensive approach. And I keep coming back to the fact that almost every other advanced democracy has a plan to protect, enhance, and grow their industries. Not necessarily a separate company, but demand an industry. We've got to think about this with what we think about... Uh, uh, sort of the, what do they call the the high-tech world of Southern California or wherever. Uh, in the last 20, or excuse me, the last 10 years, the United States of America has had a $120 billion trade deficit in what's called advanced technology products. So even in advanced technology products, we're falling behind China. We have a $120 billion deficit with them. And so... The whole thing needs to be redone, and uh, again, we look at infrastructure. I come back to that because I know we're running out of time. We were trying to get the Verrazano Bridge in New York yeah. uh, built with domestic products. We were told we couldn't make the bridge with domestic products. They had to import stuff because, quote, America doesn't make that anymore. Well, the reason we don't make it anymore, idiot, is because you've been importing it from China. Absolutely. Leo, we are out of time. We'll have you on again soon because you know how much I love you and love talking to you. And we've got a lot to talk about. I think we will. 
uh, in the years to come with this president. Leo Girard, international president of the United Steelworkers Union, the USW. On Twitter, follow him there at USW Blogger, the website, USW.org. I'm Leslie Marshall. Always more to come on the only true democracy in talk radio. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.